Hello and welcome to Rooted Together Podcast, a podcast which aims to root you in Christ through His Word together. I'm your host, Charles Hegwood, and today we are in John chapter 19 with an episode entitled, Jesus in Control. One of the main themes that jumps out in chapter 19, and we're going to skim through and look at where those themes pop up, is the fact that Jesus is in control of the whole situation that is happening to him. And if he is in control of his arrest and his torture and his death and his resurrection, he is also in control of all things in this world today. What I want you to know as you look at Scripture, as you read the Bible, I want you to know that Jesus did not happen on this path, nor did he manage to twist all things to his glory, but he controlled all things. He knew all things. He was guiding all of these things. He knew he would be betrayed by Judas, and yet he selected him. He knew he would be arrested. He's been telling his disciples, the whole time I will be arrested, I will be killed, yet I will rise again. And so that's very true, and you see these things in chapter 19. Now, chapter 19 has this also theme of irony, where we have the irony of verse 2, he's given a purple robe. Now, that was a mocking robe. It was to say he's the king of the Jews, and yet he's a prisoner. So they put this purple robe, and yet the irony is he is, in fact, king of the whole universe. He's, they say, hell, king of the Jews, while they slap his face mockingly, yet he is the king of all creation. And we have Pilate, who plays a tough role in this chapter because for Pilate's situation, he doesn't really understand why Jesus is here. He doesn't really want to have Jesus arrested. And so I want to focus on those three things. One, that Jesus is in control. We're going to look at those things. Two, we're going to look at the irony of the whole situation. And three, we're going to look at the fact that Pilate continuously points out the fact he cannot find any reason to charge him. Now, we have to ask the question, why? Why would we focus on that? Why would Pilate and why would John, the writer of this gospel, spend so much energy and time in this chapter having Pilate say, I don't understand why you want to kill him? And we need to answer that question. And the answer to that question I'm going to give you right now, and I want you to see it develop, is the fact that Jesus was truly innocent. He was in control and innocent of everything that happened to him. He did not deserve to die. And Pilate is going to underscore that by continuously saying things like in verse 4, I find no grounds for charging him. And he says it again in verse 6, I find no grounds for charging him. And that's part of when he says, take him and you crucify him yourselves. And here's some more irony. Here's uh, Well, actually, before the irony, here's a situation where we, we look at the fact that Jesus is in control. It says, because he made himself the son of God. That's what the Jews are saying about them. We have the law in verse 7. The, Drew, the Jews replied to Pilate and said, according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, Jesus wasn't mistakenly attributed the status of son of God after his death, they understood that he was making the claim that he was the son of God. Now, he did not directly always come out and say it, but he gave very, but he did indirectly say it, and they knew it, and they caught it, and they hated him for it. 
He did signs and he did wonders which pointed to him as the eternal word of God. He was in control and he continuously said, I am in control. You are going to do all that is in my authority to do to me because he is the true son of God. And we're going to see he's in control of that. He understands they know who he is. He has not made that a secret. He does not contest those accusations because Jesus knows it's true. Yes, I am the Son of God. I have said those things because it's true. And therefore, they want to kill him for it. Verse 8, as they say these very things I just talked about, when Pilate heard this statement that uh, they had a law that he ought to die, that he was saying that he's the Son of God, he was more afraid than ever. And he went back to his headquarters and he has a conversation in verse 9 and 10 with Jesus. And he says, he went back and he asked Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know? And here's one of those moments, where one of the themes I want to point out in this chapter where Jesus has complete control of the situation. And he's going to underscore that right here. He said, Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Legally, that would not be an untrue statement for most people, but yet Jesus responds, you have no authority over me at all, not even a little. You have no authority over me. I'm in complete control of this situation. The only authority you have comes from above, and he actually says that when he says, if it hadn't been given to you from above, and he, goes, and he says, this is why the one who handed me over has the greater sin. It's almost like saying, Pilate, play your part. You know you know where this is leading. I know where it's leading. Yet it's them who handed me over to you. But yet you have no authority to crucify me, and you have no authority to release me because I have authority over all of those things. That authority must be given to you from above, not from you. You, you have no power over me. This is Jesus. Realize, understand this is John saying that Jesus is truly the Word made flesh, the Word who was with God and the Word who was God, the Word that created all things. Therefore, Pilate, humanity in general, can have no authority over the things of God. And, and Jesus is telling Pilate, you have no authority over me. So don't think that you do. And so in verse 12, we have Pilate again. He keeps trying to release him. He keeps trying to tell the, the crowd gathered outside, I can't find any reason to kill him. I want to release him. He keeps trying. He understands Jesus really is innocent. And so he doesn't understand why he's being put up in front of him as, as, as a person they want to kill. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you're not, a, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Now, again, Jesus has not gone around saying he's a king, but that is going to be where the conversation is going to go. And so when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside and he sat down on the judge's seat. And in verse 14, it was the preparation day for Passover and it was about noon. And he told the Jews, here's your king. And they shouted, take him away, take him away and crucify him. So again, here's the irony. Here's your king. And they say, crucify him. Yet he was their king. He was their true king. And even more, that Old Testament connection that God was Israel's true king. And here is God in human flesh truly their king, and yet they mockingly say, oh, no, he's not our king. He's claiming to be a king. And yet he, in irony, he is the king of Israel and the whole world, and they want to kill him. And Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? And here's more irony. 
We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Now, we read that, and maybe if you don't know the context, you might look at that and say, okay, it's not really that big of a deal. I read that and go, okay, sure, but that, that would be true, right? You don't want to be killed, and if you say that Caesar's not king in Rome, you kind of die back then. Well, the irony is the chief priest hated Caesar. 99% of the Jewish people living in Jerusalem at this time, and really the whole area of Israel at this time, hated Caesar. They did not view him as a true king. They wanted him ousted. They were looking for a military messiah to free them and to establish them as a, a nation again. And so when you hear them say, we have no king but Caesar, hear the irony. These are the people who hate Caesar, and yet they're willing to accept Caesar's burden and Caesar's yoke and Caesar's slavery over the king of kings and the lord of lords who offers them freedom from sin. And they say, we have no king but Caesar, and then he handed them over to be crucified as Pilate sees, finally, there's nothing much he can do. He tries and he tries and he tries, but eventually gives Jesus over to be crucified. And it says in verse 17, they, uh, they took Jesus away and carrying the cross by himself, he went out to, what, to a place called the Skull, an Aramaic called Golgotha. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. And Pilate also makes this sign. So if you've read this account before in multiple Gospels, you get this sign, and it says, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And they read that, and they're not happy with that. They're like, no, 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 no. Don't write, in verse 21, don't write King of the Jews, but write that he said, I'm King of the Jews. And this is sort of Pilate's little get-back-at-you thing. He goes, what I have written, I have written. I like that. I, I think Pilate realizes, man, this is a farce. This whole thing is a sham trial. And I just feel like I don't have a lot of options here. And so his way to sort of get back at them is to write, here's Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. And they're like, no, we, we're not claiming him to be the king. And yet he's going he's gonna to say, well, well, I've written what I've written. That's what it's going to say. And it's a, a little jab at them almost. Uh, and then we look at verses 23 and 24, and we're going to see more of the fact that Jesus is in complete control, that this was God's will. This wasn't God scrambling to make the best out of a bad situation, but God's plan being fulfilled. So verse 23, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and they divided them among four parts, a part for each soldier. And they also took his tunic, which was seamless, woven from one piece uh, from the top. So they said to one another, let's let's not tear this, let's cast lots, see who gets it. Psalm 22, that's a fulfillment of Psalm 22. And John, writing this, says this happened, this gambling for his clothes happened, that Scripture might be fulfilled. And it says this, that they divided my clothes among themselves. It's Psalm 22, he's quoting, and they cast lots for my clothing. This is what the soldiers did, and it's a fulfillment of Scripture, that even in their mocking of Jesus, it fulfills scripture. And if you keep reading this chapter, you have some beautiful things as he, as John basically identifies himself as there, as this happens. Uh, and we get to verse 28, but I want to, I'm not going to focus on all those things, but read 25 through 27. They're great, great verses. They're beautiful verses. They're verses about Jesus caring about his family. And we get to verse 28, and we're going to have more of the fact that Jesus is in control, that this is part of the plan of God. It says, after this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished, when everything he had set out to finish was completed, that Scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. 
So again, there's that idea of Scripture being fulfilled. In verse 30, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit, realizing now it's complete. I may give up my spirit. It is finished. Powerful words saying, I've done what I've done. It's completed. And then verse 35, John is going to say, a very important, this is going to be the theme of the next three chapters, this idea of John is saying, I'm not writing this just to make a historical account. I'm writing this so that you might believe, so that you might know that this is true. Verse 35, he who saw this, saw Jesus die, saw him say, it is finished, saw him fulfill scripture after scripture, saw him heal people, raise people from the dead, all of those things. He said, he who has who's seen this has testified so that purpose clause, you may also believe. I am testifying so that you might believe. He's not just writing these things down. He's telling you these things so that you would believe, and he's welcoming his reader into that belief that he experiences through seeing these things and knowing these things. He's offering it to us even today. Verse 36, as he continues that thought, he says, For these things happened so that the Scripture would be fulfilled. Everything that happened happened that Scripture might be fulfilled, not one of his bones will be broken. In fact, they broke the other two's bones, and what, what I didn't read is they pierced his side with a spear. All of that fulfilled Scripture. Also, another Scripture says, they look at the one they pierced, and then they take his body down, and they bury it in the tomb of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a Pharisee who may have very much believed in Jesus, and they give him a tomb. A new tomb was in the garden, and no one had yet been placed in it. So they placed Jesus' body there because the Jewish day of preparation, uh, since the tomb was nearby, so it was close to where he died, they put him in there because it was time to start preparing for the, the Passover. And the beauty is what we just read, what we just witnessed, Jesus being crucified, he is the Passover lamb. He didn't even die on a random day. The day was the day of the Passover, so that he would be the true Passover lamb whose blood would not only cleanse for a year, but would cleanse for all eternity, not only for a group of people, but for the whole world, those who may believe. And he gives them, John 1, the right to become children of God. But I wanted to point out those three things that we read this. There's great irony that he is the king, and yet they mocking they mock him as king, or they're mockingly saying things like he is king, putting him in purple robes, and yet he really is. I wanted you to see that as we read this, all of these things happen in fulfillment of Scripture. None of it happened by accident. All of it within the control and the authority of Jesus, who he knew what was happening to him. He knew when all things were finished and completed, and also that John would see those things and testify about them so that you may and I may believe that these are true. And even Pilate can attest to the fact that Jesus was an innocent man, an innocent lamb of God being slaughtered for the sins of many. Thank you for joining me in Rooted Together podcast, and I look forward to joining you in John chapter 20 next time. I'll see you there.